Before we dive into the message, uh, would you pray with me? Father God, as we open up your scriptures, as we listen uh, today to the words of Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be soft and ready to hear what you have to say. Uh, in these moments, I ask that I would disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. Uh, we have ears to hear what you have to say today, Father. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last month in our December sermon series, Peace on Earth, uh, we ended up going into some somewhat a little bit provocative uh, territory because we ended up talking about some topics like loving your enemies and uh, dismantling or standing against tribalism. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, preaching about that the week of Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I can't help it. But that, that's where we went. And it was actually really encouraging to me how many of you told me just how, how timely those messages ended up being. Like, people were saying, yeah, I've got to go spend time with my family. Things are not going real great with them. I needed to hear that. That message about loving your enemies. And, and uh, people were saying, uh, yeah, th this is, I, I'm, it's a really good reminder to work on my own heart when it comes to tribalism. And so it, it ended up being, seeming to really strike a chord, which was encouraging to me. Well, today we're continuing this series that, that is kind of built on, it's kind of continuation of what we talked about last month, because we're talking about self-giving love, the, the, the setting ourselves aside that Jesus demonstrated, uh, as we talked about in Philippians 2, by, by uh, lowering himself, by emptying himself for our sakes. So we're kind of dreaming together about what it would look like if this was the year of selflessness for us at Grace. Like, what would it mean if we all, individually and as a church, really, truly began to practice the self-giving love of Jesus? How would it change us? How would it change our world? How would it change our reputation in the world? So that's what we're talking about. And it just so happens that we are going to revisit today the topic of loving your enemies. And some of you are like, oh, again? But I promise this is an important aspect of selflessness, and I really don't know how to talk about self-giving love without at least touching on this one more time. But rather than just rehashing what we talked about last month, I don't want to do that, uh, I would like to go directly to the words of Jesus, and I want to I see what he had to say, kind of straight from his mouth, about loving your enemies, and perhaps getting a bit of a different angle on this whole concept as we talk about selflessness, okay? So we're going to look at the words of Jesus in Luke 6. Uh, so go ahead and grab a Bible, please. Turn with me to Luke 6, starting in verse 27. It's going to be page 857 in the House Bibles. Uh, and of course, if you're watching online, hello. Uh, you can read whatever Bible you've got. Luke 6, it's kind of to the right of the middle. Just keep on looking and you'll find it. Um, while you guys are turning, I do just want to say uh, that if you are here, we have a welcome party today after the 11 o'clock service. And uh, the welcome party is, it's going to be uh, in room, uh, Student Ministries East is where it'll be. So just kind of head out that direction and you'll find us. Uh, welcome party, it is for those of you who are brand new to Grace and you just kind of want to meet us and get to know us a little bit, but it's also for any of you who maybe you've been around for a while, a few months, a few years, 10 years, but you, but you haven't really connected or you haven't really uh, taken that next step. Well, this is for you. 
whether you're new or whether you're ready to kind of learn a bit more, we're going to spend some time super casual. Uh, I'll be there. I want to I want to meet you and tell you a little bit about what makes grace grace. And uh, we'll give a give, I'll give you a tour of the care center if you've never seen that. And so come along after this service. Student Ministries East will have a few little snacks, no lunch or anything, but just a few snacks. Spend a bit of time together. I would love to meet you and tell you a bit about what God's doing here. So hopefully you can join us right after this service. Okay, so back to uh, loving your enemies. This section of Luke, what we're about to read is, it's, sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And basically, Luke and Matthew both capture this sermon that Jesus undoubtedly gave many, many times. In Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Luke, it's the Sermon on the Plain. But he hits on the same basic ideas in both sermons. Essentially, he's describing the fundamentals of life in his kingdom. What does it mean to be one of his followers? What is God actually up to in the world? So this is what he says in verse 27. He says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, well, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Okay, we'll stop there. Loving your enemies. Now, This is a pretty familiar phrase to us, love your enemies, but what he gets into here, what Jesus talks about here, uh, this idea of getting credit for something, I think it's important for us to pay attention to that and and, and camp there for a moment. So uh, look again at verses 32 through 34. He says it three times. He says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Why should you get credit? Now what he says in Greek literally is, what grace is it to you? What grace is it to you? In Greek, grace, the word grace is uh, charis. Charis is is a word uh, in in Greek. Now, that idea of what grace is it to you, that doesn't really make sense to us, especially not in English, because today, these days, we think of grace as like a theological concept. God's grace for us, it's about salvation. But in Jesus' day, grace, charis, was actually a very commonly understood idea, something that everybody experienced uh, on a day-to-day basis. Ancient Israel and ancient Rome were, were what's called a, a honor-based societies, honor and shame-based societies. And what that meant is that your honor or your, your dignity or your status was so important. Right? Where you ranked on the social ladder was, was vital to know. You knew it, everybody else knew it, and everybody was looking for ways to advance, to move up that ladder and get a bit more honor, right? So that's an honor-based society. And so if you had the opportunity to do something that's going to bump you up a couple notches, you took it. You took it because that's just how society worked. And one of the ways you could do that to get yourself up the ladder of honor was to give grace or give a grace to somebody. And what that means is uh, a, a, a charis uh, to people who are lower on the ladder. 
So what that looks like is maybe if you had a bit of money, maybe you provide some grain for some hungry peasants or, or you build a building for some people or something like that. And what would happen is in return, those people that you helped with that grace, they would help you with honor and dignity and they'd celebrate you and they'd tell everybody who would listen, hey, that guy's pretty great or that gal's pretty awesome, right? So you would, it was like a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. If I help you move up the ladder by taking care of your needs, you can help me move up the ladder by boosting my prestige. That is grace. Uh, One of the things the uh, archaeologists are constantly finding across the ancient Near East area is all these plaques or statues that are, that are honoring these great benefactors or patrons who, who gave wonderful grace to people. For example, uh, this is one I, I found online. It's, I guess some guy built a bridge. He built a bridge for a, a town, and so they built a statue of him, and they put this plaque on the statue, and it basically says, like, uh, it's, well, here's, I got some, this translation, which I confirmed with, uh, with Steve Perkins, so we're good. He's a Latin teacher, and it says something to the effect of, Martius Marcianus, at his own expense, in honor of his own best and dearest friend, Cestus Gaius, did build it, whatever, so on. You, you get the idea. It's like a plaque, so that anybody who goes over that bridge knows, ah, he's the guy who made it possible. Right? I can imagine Martius walking over his own bridge thinking like, yeah, I'm pretty great. Uh, actually, this word grace, charis, charis is the root of our word charismatic. And so I can kind of imagine like Martius walking around as a very charismatic individual who helped build this lovely structure, right? So you get this idea. This is what the, the honor-shame economy looks like in the ancient world. It is grace to give a great gift and to receive a whole lot of prestige back because of it. That's how grace worked. Now, what is Jesus saying here when he's talking all about this? Let's look back at it. In verse 27, he says, he says, do good to those who hate you. He says, bless those who curse you. In other words, give grace to those who won't put your name on a plaque, right? Who aren't going to build a statue of you. Help those who are not going to honor you in return. Verse 33 says, look, if you just do good to those who are just going to do good back to you and celebrate you, how can you call that grace? What grace is that to you? Why should you get credit? Everybody does that. Everybody's just trying to, trying to boost each other up the social ladder. So this is kind of shocking stuff. Again, we hear love your enemies. We're familiar with it, so it doesn't really strike us. But what he is saying here, this is shocking stuff in ancient Israel. Because Jesus is not just saying some idealistic platitudes about, let's all just get along. Let's all just be friends. Like, that's not what he's saying here. Jesus is, is upending, like radically upending the honor-shame dynamics of his entire world. This is radical, crazy stuff. He's saying, don't try to go up the ladder at all. In fact, go down the ladder on purpose. Actually lower yourself. I mean, I mean he's, saying, he's saying, live like it's not about me in a world where it's all about me. It's shocking. Lend to those who don't have a chance of paying you back. Give freely to those who you know are going to take advantage of you. Love your enemies and not just your friends. This may be a familiar concept to us in in our heads, but if we put ourselves back in that day and try to imagine Jesus saying this for the first time, this would have been shocking counter-cultural stuff. It's scandalous, scandalous in an honor and shame-based world. 
In my kingdom, I want you to dishonor yourself. Think about that. It's wild. Now, I said last month, and I, I, it's true today, that this idea of loving your enemies, it clearly struck a chord with Jesus' followers because so many of the apostles who ended up writing the rest of the New Testament, they referenced this. They, they're constantly trying to help people to grasp it. I think not only was this a very hard thing for people to, to wrap their minds around, but it must have been pretty darn crucial, one of the fundamentals of life in the kingdom of God for them to continuously bring it up and bring it up and bring it up. It's all over the New Testament. Love your enemies. Self-giving love. So, okay. With all that said, I just want to stop for a moment and ask, what do we do with this practically? Like, what, what exactly are our lives supposed to look like if we all go around loving our enemies? I mean, are we supposed to just give and give and give and get until we are just shriveled husks in the gutter of society? Like, is that what Jesus wants from us? Does he want us to just completely be walked all over by the world and then we die? Is that life as a follower of Jesus? Well, no. No, let's keep reading because there's actually a benefit, a gain to us from loving our enemies. Look at verse 35. Jesus continues. He he talks about this honor-shame stuff, and then he says this, Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid, and then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Hmm interesting. Give and you will receive. So according to Jesus, according to Jesus, you do get something back for loving your enemies, but it's not from them, right? This isn't, this isn't them honoring you and building you a statue. No, what you get back is from God himself. Verse 38, he says, give and you will receive. The, your gift will return to you in full. And I love the imagery that he uses here. He talks about pressed down and shaken together and running over. I know exactly what he's talking about uh, because I saw the opposite of that uh, in Nairobi. I lived in Kibera slum in Nairobi for a while over the years, and uh, what I saw there was, was the exact opposite of this. They sell charcoal for your cooking stoves in Kibera at 50 shillings a bucket, and I, I got this picture on, on the internet. I unfortunately lost the, my pictures of that, but it's the same thing I've seen. Uh, they sell charcoal by the bucket, and it looks like those things are super full, right? The, the buckets are like overflowing. Look at all that charcoal on top. But my, my friend, my Kenyan friend, Pastor Fred, and I would laugh about this because if you actually bought a charcoal bucket and you took all that stuff off the top, guess what you'd find on the inside? You'd find this intricate lattice work of charcoal where they tried to, you know, stack everything on top with as little charcoal in the bucket 
pocket as possible. So it's all looks, looks are deceiving. They're almost empty on the inside. And that's how vendors have always done it, right? If you're selling by volume, then you just want to get, get as much money as you can. And so whether it's grain or fruit or whatever, people always have done this. But what Jesus is saying is that the gift that we receive goes completely counter to that. What we get is, let's just imagine it's like grain or something. It's, it's pressed down. It's shaken so that there's no air in there. And then they keep filling it up and filling it up and keep shaking it and filling it until it's overflowing into our lap. That's the measure that we will receive. So what he's saying here is that this is not, uh, th- this, what we receive for loving our enemies is not tit for tat. It's not like you do this and you get it right back to you. No, it's, it's extravagant. It's generous. It's over the top, literally over the top. We do good to our enemies and God overwhelms us with good in return. You see, that right there, that is the economy of self-giving love, according to Jesus. According to Jesus. And maybe you've seen this in action. I know this is all very metaphorical, but Maybe you've seen somebody in your life who you just think of as just incredibly loving, incredibly self-giving. You look at their life, and they do seem kind of blessed, don't they? They're, they're, they're very full, full of peace. They're, they're calm. They, they seem to have plenty. They seem to be uh, at rest with the world. That is a blessing that comes from God. They're loving, and God is continuously blessing them. You've probably experienced that or seen that to some degree, right? They, they set themselves aside, and God pours all this stuff into their lap, this blessing, uh, this, this gift that he gives them. But this raises a really important question. All about motivation, because you look at this and you wonder, all right, is Jesus saying then that our, our motivation for loving our enemies is to get something back in return? Are we doing this? Are we loving our enemies for the gift? Is that, we're, we're doing this to get some sort of divine blessing or, or, or something else? Is that why we love our enemies? Well, not exactly. Not exactly. Look at verse 35. In verse 35, uh, Jesus says, Lend to your enemies without expecting to be repaid. And then, yes, your reward from heaven will be very great, right? But by doing this, he goes on, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Now, here's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, yes, your father is going to bless you. He's going to knock your socks off with life, with joy, with peace, all of those things. But that's not why you love your enemies. Yes, he lavishes gifts on his children, pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. That's the kind of gifts he gives. But that's not why you do it. That's not why you love. You do it because you are God's children, You're God's children, and that's just what this family does, right? This is what we do in the family of God. Maybe your family has something like that, right? Something that just defines you. Like uh, maybe it's, you know, in this family, we're Cubs fans, right? First and foremost, that's just who we are. Or in my family, mom, in this family, we write thank you notes. I got thank you notes in my stocking for Christmas for so many years, and I'm like, oh, that's, 
That's what the gift is. Great. Awesome. They were wrapped in everything, too. It was like, uh, or yeah, or maybe it's, uh, I know the, the Heasleys, Cameron and Becca Heasley, maybe you know them. They're awesome. They, they always say with their kids, uh, the Heasley kids are capable kids, right? That's something that they say. It's, this is what our family does. This is who we are. Well, the same thing is happening here. Because you are a part of this family of God, you share his character, Verse 36, you must be compassionate. Why? Just as your father is compassionate. It's what his family does. Earlier, we talked about all the the honor-shame language that Jesus was using, all the patrons and benefactors. Well, our father is the ultimate patron. He's the ultimate benefactor. But the grace, the charis that he gives has no possibility of repayment. Right? We're not going to make him a plaque. Like what, what does he need from us? Nothing. Nothing. He loves sinners who can't pay him back. He loves those who hate him. He entered into our world and died on our behalf to make us his children. That's his grace. That's his charis. There are no strings attached. What honor could we possibly give him that he doesn't already have? No, he did it because of who he is, because of his incomprehensible love. God is love. That's his character. And guys, that is the character that is expected of his children. That's who this family is. That's what this family does. We are in God's family now. And in this family, we love those who don't deserve it. God loves his enemies, and so do his children. And yes, God blesses his children abundantly. Life and joy and peace and hope. He gives gifts that are pressed down and shaken together and pouring over into our laps. It is good to be children of the king. It's good to be his children. Uh, In John, John, he says, uh, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Literally, we have all received grace upon grace, charis upon charis. That's who he is. The question is not whether we've earned all of these, these gifts of God, the graces of God, by doing the right things, because that's impossible, He gives it to us when we don't deserve it. How are we possibly going to earn it? No. The question is whether we are responding to this undeserved love by acting like his children, by living in this family of self-giving love. Because look, look, if we are, if we are in this family and we are sharing the character of our father, well then guess what? Loving our enemies it should be something that starts to come a bit naturally to us. It's something that, that flows from within us. He fills us up, we pour it out, and that keeps happening, and the well never runs dry. Now, I think this is, this is an important thing for us to consider here, because what I'm saying about, about loving our enemies, what Jesus is saying, this is not about action at all. It's about identity, this is about our identity, and we've got to think about this if we ever want to have a shot at, at actually being the kinds of people who spontaneously love those who stand against us. Let me explain. Most of the time, I'll speak personally, most of the time when I think about loving my enemies or whatever, I treat it as, as some sort of uh, list of things to do, right? I think, all right, all right, this week— 
I am going to just find somebody that I hate and give them a gift, right? Or, or like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just absolutely uh, respond with so much love when someone uh, slaps me on one cheek. I'm going to offer the other cheek. But that, that's not how our world works, right? You can't just do a checklist of things to, like, to act on to love your enemies. No, that's not how this world works. It's like that, that uh, famous passage of Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. How many of us look at that and think, all right, this week, I'm going to be more loving by, I'm going to be more patient, and I'm going to be more kind, and we, do, we treat it like a to-do list of behavior modification, right? We do that, and guess how often we're disappointed with ourselves, right? We file it away, so I'm going to be better this week, and then something happens to us, and we're like, ah, Shoot, I was supposed to be more peaceful. I was supposed to be more, more loving. Ah, all right, I file it away. Something happens. I'm disappointed. So I'm like, all right, I file it away. Something happens. I'm disappointed. How many of you can relate to that, right? This is how we treat this faith thing, this self-giving love thing. We treat it like a to-do list. But what if there's another way? What if we didn't treat self-giving love like a task to be accomplished? What if we treated it as something with our identity, something to do with who we are? This is something the the late author Dallas Willard talked about a lot. Now, he did not exactly lower the bar. He he believes, or believed, and I I tend to agree with him, that that the metric of, of telling how mature someone is in Jesus is how easily they spontaneously love their enemies. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, that's not great. If, that's the, if that shows how mature you are in Jesus, how many of us are like, oh yeah, I'm totally up there. By how easily we spontaneously love our enemies. But he agrees with, wh- I think, where we're going here. He, he agrees that trying to, to accomplish this as a list of to-dos is just not the way to go. Like with that 1 Corinthians passage, love is patient, love is kind, and so on. Here's what he says about that, Dallas Willard. He says, we don't try to do those things. We become the kind of person who does those things. If we try to do those things, if you try to do those things, it'll just kill you. But if you receive love as the principle of your life in all dimensions of your being, then you will see love. Love is kind. Love does not envy. And so on, all the way down the line. And having received love, you will be transformed into a person who loves. What he's saying, in other words, is that loving your enemies, practicing self-giving love, the self-giving love of Jesus, it is not something we do. It's something we are. Or back to what Luke said in, in, or what what Jesus said in Luke 6. This is something that, that flows naturally out of our identity as children of God. Because it's who he is. It's what his family does. He's the patron. He's the benefactor. He gives grace, charis. He gives it to all of those who don't deserve it. And we are invited to join him in that work. God loves his enemies. So do his children. If this is a matter of identity and not a matter of action, let me ask you this question. What if, what if loving our enemies had nothing to do with trying harder to be nicer to people we don't like? 
What if it had nothing to do with with just uh, spinning on the hamster wheel of behavior modification? But what if it had everything to do with fully grasping the undeserved grace, the chorus that God has for us? What if we truly received the love of God and we let it shape us? What if our lives were defined by this love that is pressed down and shaken together and running over? What if that defined our life? What if we lived every day as the children of God? What if we were transformed? So here's, here's what I want to do right now. I'm not going to give you an action step for the week, okay? After what I just said, I'm not giving you a to-do list. I'm not giving you three things to try. No, in fact, someone came up after the last service and said, man, that's tough for me because I like action steps. I'm not giving you an action step. What I want to do instead is take just a moment and just sit in the, the love that God has for you. I want you to take a moment and just Just think about and reflect on and saturate yourself with the grace that God has for you. So let's do that. I want you to just close your eyes. Close your eyes because, look, if we can begin to truly be identified by this love, by this grace that God has for us, that is when it begins to flow out from us. So close your eyes and just think about this. Jesus says in in Luke, he says, uh, be compassionate because your father is compassionate. Well, I want to take off that, that whole first part of the sentence and just say this. Your father is compassionate. How? How has he been compassionate for you? How in your life has God's love overwhelmed you? In what ways has his grace been so much more than you deserve? does it do in your heart to know that he sees you as his child? That he loves you? That he's proud of you? That he's excited about what you're going to be and who you're going to become? What does it do in your heart? Receive the love of God. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, but he gives it freely. What would it mean for your life to be built on that? One thing I do know is if you fully received the love that God has for you, then the next time you encounter an enemy, you're going to see them as a brother or as a sister, and it will change this world. Well, Father, I know that receiving your love is something that, that, I don't know why it's so hard for us, but it is. 
I also know this is something that we work on for a lifetime. To be the kinds of people who are, are built on and identified by your love. But Father, I pray that that would happen for us. As we try to live this year of, of selflessness, as we try to, to live out the model of Jesus and set ourselves aside, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would remind us daily of the truth that we belong in your family, that you love us, that your grace is sufficient for us. Can we be transformed, Father, so that through us, in your name, we can transform this world? We love you as you love us, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who showed us what it means to love our enemies to the very end. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.